Welcome back. Happy April 26, 2021. Kyle Smith at National Review writes this of last night's Academy Awards, the Oscars, quote, The show was about as exciting as a celebrity reading of Jimmy Carter's malaise speeches. The first awards, in order, went to movies about these subjects. Toxic masculinity, Alzheimer's, alcohol abuse, racism, racism, and then racism. We moved on to a movie about an indigent middle-aged woman living in a van and pooping in a bucket, Nomadland, which made Chloe Zhao the first woman of color to win Best Director. Then we honored a movie that horrifically recreates the experience of going deaf, Sound of Metal. Then two short films, the first about a black man getting murdered by a cop over and over again, the second about school shootings. The two makers of the former, Two Distant Strangers, Trayvon Free and Martin Desmond Rowe, wore jackets whose linings were printed with the names of the victims of police violence and also adorned with lapel pins representing the jersey numbers of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna. Huh? At the end, Smith concludes, in future years, not only will people not be watching the Oscars, last year's ceremony hit an all-time low of 23.6 million viewers, and this one won't approach that, but you'll have to explain why people once thought these things were once considered fun and exciting, close quote. By the way, the number is in. 23.6 million viewers last year, smallest audience ever. They did worse than half this year at 9.5 million viewers. Well, people used to think movies fun and exciting because they used to entertain, celebrate life, celebrate love, celebrate the virtues, celebrate America. They didn't used to be a dirge. They used to be fun, even beautiful. Here, in a random year, is what Hollywood was once capable of. Let's take the year 1962. Here are just some of the movies made that one year. Lawrence of Arabia, The Longest Day, Mutiny on the Boutney, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Music Man, The Miracle Worker, Divorce Italian Style, Birdman of Alcatraz, Days of Wine and Roses, and more. As I say, that's just some of what Hollywood could do in one year. All of them classics. Now it's all death and grief and sorrow and murder and race in each movie, none of which will ever be considered a classic. So much money, so much talent, so much hype. To what end? To what purpose? Entertainment? Activism? Or depression, sadness, and melancholy about the country and your fellow countrymen? Why, remind me, did we ban bear baiting and dog fighting and cockfighting in America? Because we believed how we entertain ourselves matters, and pure blood lust is simply not healthy or a sign of anything good. What about pure darkness, guilt, anger, bitterness, and weirdness, abnormal psychology? In fact, I think it's a major and serious sign of rot in our culture that we spend billions to produce losses of the human will when once we were animated by the triumphs of it. Turns out, the movie Joker wasn't an outlier. It was a predictor. From the Bible to Plato to every piece of social science up until about yesterday, We knew that messages, cultural messages, matter in preserving the culture. They they matter, too, in destroying a culture. Maybe we still know this, because messages can be used to take down just as well as to build up. 
We know what demagogues can do with propaganda and politics. How about demagogues with propaganda in Hollywood with an unlimited budget of billions? This, after all, let us not forget, is what propaganda was invented. Propaganda, after all, is about appealing to emotion rather than reason. So paint America as as terrible as well as her people. In an age of lockdowns and fear, this may be the greatest amount of exposure most people get to their fellow Americans or view of their country, especially if they watch NBC and CNN, which backs up pretty much everything Hollywood does. Remember what the NBC Nightly News anchor said last month, after all? Fairness is overrated. That's America's Nightly News anchor, collecting his paycheck from the party as he responds on behalf of it. Perhaps this gives a new meaning to the term newspeak. As Winston was told in the novel 1984, quote, you don't really grasp the beauty of the destruction of words. Do you know that newspeak is the only language whose vocabulary gets smaller every year? Close quote. The beauty of the destruction of words is equivalent to the beauty of the destruction of a culture. Language being the most basic element of a culture. As far as it being the only language whose subsequent dictionaries get smaller, one sees it here. Hollywood, like every news story, seems to be making movies smaller and smaller, longer and longer, but about smaller and smaller issues, fewer and fewer topics. You can name them. There are essentially two, a biological virus and a psychological one, covid and whiteness. But let's not forget what is happening here vis-a-vis our entertainment, which I probably don't spend enough time on. Irving Crystal made the point some years ago I was making above, no society can be utterly indifferent to the ways its citizens publicly entertain themselves. For example, bear baiting and cockfighting are prohibited only in part out of compassion for the suffering of the animals. The main reason they were abolished was because it was felt that they debased and brutalized the citizenry who flocked to witness such spectacles. It was about the audience. We are, after all, not dealing with one passing incident, one book, or one play, or one movie. We are dealing with a general tendency that is suffusing our entire culture. And the tendency is debasement for debasement's sake, all in the name of saying it is art and great acting, when it is neither. I'm not asking for censorship. I'm not asking for us to be blue-nosed. I'm asking us for to be I'm asking for us to be human beings and to realize this eternal truth also from Irving Crystal. If you believe that no one was ever corrupted by a movie, you also have to believe that no one was ever improved by a movie or a book or a play. You have to believe in other words that all art is morally trivial and that consequently all education is morally irrelevant. No one, not even a university professor, really believes that. The ways in which we use our minds and imaginations do shape our characters and help define us as persons. And the ways in which Holly wants us to think and use our imaginations and shape our character and define us as a country is not healthy. How does Hollywood want us to think? Well, look at what it rewards. Anti-Americanism and racism, racism, racism. 
It used to do movies promoting the greatness and great things about America, including its people. It used to help break race barriers. Now it thinks itself heroic to say what everyone knows they must say and things that all the employers and co-workers believe anyway, and they call it heroism. Now add China. As a report at the Heritage Foundation puts it, Fox News reports, it is a question you might never have considered. Is China taking over Hollywood? The Chinese are financing some of your favorite films, buying theater change. It's a growing trend. Major Chinese production companies are teaming up with Hollywood, which is leading to concerns over pro-China propaganda maybe making its way to major American blockbusters. As one Today's show host and NBC put it, here's an interesting fact. If you go to a movie theater right now, it's a decent chance you're going to be seeing a Hollywood movie with a budget partly from China. That is actually true of the top three movies out right now. And it's just one sign of a global power shift in entertainment that's already changing the movies you see. Stephen Colbert said this, The Chinese government only allows a small number of foreign movies into China each year. And after America, China is the number two biggest movie-going country in the world. So it's only natural for American movie makers to try and please the cultural gatekeepers in the Chinese government. They've been doing it for years. In the disaster movie, 2012, humanity is saved because the Chinese government had the foresight to build life-saving arcs. In Gravity, Sandra Bullock survives by getting herself to the Chinese space station. That new movie did so well in China, she went back and reshot the blind side with an underprivileged table tennis player. Tim Dosher notes... China is on track to overtake the U.S. as the largest consumer of movies in the world. They love Hollywood, but they do love the same Hollywood we do is another question. As most know, China is communist. And while they are somewhat economically open, there is still significant control over the content Chinese people are exposed to. It goes something like this. In order for the U.S. film to crack the Chinese market, certain themes cannot be portrayed. Certain products must be taken out and certain speech must be limited. Seems easy, right? Not so much. Hollywood is relying more and more on the Chinese markets to make profits on movies. That means our films are being written with China's concerns in mind first and foremost. As Mike Gonzalez put it, American audiences are being submitted to censorship. Not our own, but a foreign powers censorship and a communist party censorship at that. But we get shown a very benign view of China, in which China is a normal country, no different from Paris or Britain or Germany. And that is not the case, quite simply. If you speak against the government in Germany, for instance, nothing happens to you. If you speak against the government in China, they'll throw you in jail. But China can never be the villain. And many of these movies are made where? American movies. You guessed it. Xinjiang the province of darkness in China. Maybe if we spent half the time we spend telling ourselves how terrible it is to be white on how terrible of a Dachau China is running in Xinjiang with help from American dollars to make products sold in America, products from the NBA to Disney, maybe if we spent half that time or a quarter of it, we would know what true evil is, including slavery in the modern era that pays for the salaries of people like Colin Kaepernick and Nike executives and employees and LeBron James. 
Maybe we'd beat ourselves up less over a portion of this country that once had slavery over 156 years ago, and maybe we'd pay more attention to a country and series of of American corporations doing business in that country that conceals, employs, and uses slavery, including child slavery, not 156 years ago, today. So Hollywood, if you wanted to make a movie about slavery, racism, and evil, how about this as a storyline? Quote, severe and wide-ranging repression of ethnic minorities continues under the presence of pretense of anti-separatism, anti-extremism, and counterterrorism in the Zhejiang Uyghur Autonomous Region and the Tibet Autonomous Region. Access to and from Tibet remains highly restricted, particularly for journalists, academics, and human rights organizations, making it extremely difficult to investigate and document the human rights situations in those regions. In Xinjiang, for instance, since 2017, an estimated one million, possibly more Uyghurs, Cossacks, and other predominantly Muslim people were arbitrarily detained without trial and subject to political indoctrination and forced cultural assimilation and transformation through education centers. Documenting the full scope of violations remained impossible due to a lack of publicly available data due to restrictions on access to the region. Despite initially denying the existence of the camps, authorities now describe them as vocational training centers. Close quote. Be a hell of a movie about that or a journalist trying to expose that or a family that goes through it. That script draft, though, it's not from a Hollywood writer. It's from Amnesty International, quoted directly from the website of Amnesty International. Seems a movie about all that, though, would wake the world up to real slavery and repression and evil. But Hollywood won't make that movie. You know why? Because it sold itself to the slave holders. Will Coca-Cola make a statement about its work in China? Maybe it will say it regrets doing business in a country that sponsors and conceals slavery where they operate right now. Maybe Delta will decrease rather than increase flights to China. You'd think it would be easier to attack what Amnesty International attacks rather than your own state and country. But instead, America is always the target just as China would want it to be, or any communist, really. And to think, once upon a time, being a communist in Hollywood was a thing. Or, because it wasn't a thing, it wasn't. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hope you had a really good weekend. Bill, did you have a good weekend? Thank you, Seth. Yes, I did. What'd you do? Movies? No movies, just grocery shopping. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Because people may think that you go into radio because you have some thoughts you want to share with the community and you're okay at it. And that's true. But there's a second unarticulated reason people go into radio and i'm going to say the quiet part out loud right now is everyone listening it's so you can eat certain kinds of foods that you can't eat at home 
to wit. The calories well, don't count. Well, when I worked for the Bill Bennett show, food was a big part of that show. And there was a great, great restaurant in Washington, D.C. It's been there for 60 or 70 years called Ben's Chili Bowl. And it's in a, in a slightly, uh, slightly off, off part of D.C. And they close at 4 in the morning. So we would send one of our associate producers out at 3 in the morning to go get food from there because we were in the office then. And Bill would ask for you know people to go to the store for sandwich items so that we could eat because we're hungry. And I'll never forget when he asked for the bologna but not the good kind. And we all knew exactly what he meant and we loved it. We're going to talk about your food shopping habits for the office a little later. Right now, what we have to deal with is something beyond serious. And that is the story about John Kerry. This is an incredible story. And I will be very angry if it goes away in a day. I will do my best to keep this alive. Are you aware of the hubbub over John Kerry? Fox News says it's a problem for the New York Times. It's not. They write the New York Times is taking criticism for bearing a report that former Secretary of State John Kerry told Iran that Israel had attacked Iranian interests in Syria at least 200 times. Okay, let's just break this up a moment. Iran is the world's number one leading state sponsor of terror. They are probably also America's number one enemy. Probably. Uh, one could argue for that title, but they're top, top three. And the Secretary of State is John Kerry at the time, or since he was Secretary of State and has access to classified information, in order to appease Javad Zarif, his counterpart, then counterpart in Iran, in the, for the foreign minister which is effectively the Secretary of State of Iran, John Kerry told him about Israeli operations against Iran, classified operations against Iran. Now, I don't know if this shocks me. I suppose a lot of us kind of assumed that Kerry was doing a lot to appease the Iranians, including giving money he said on the record could not be guaranteed would not be used for terrorism. He said he expects some of the money would. What I don't think we expected is for Zarif to throw Kerry under the bus in a long-ranging interview, which the New York Times picks up and reports, as they do in, I don't know, Paragraph 26, um, which is that John Kerry has been telling the Iranians through his counterpart or his former counterpart about Israeli covert activity against the Iranians. This is enormously irresponsible at worst. It might be a crime, but you cannot have this man representing America. Thirty-four past the hour brings us the great John Dombrowski. 
from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, founder and president. He is also the host of The Word on Wealth, which you can catch every Saturday morning here at 7 a.m. on 960 The Patriot. His website, grandcanyonplanning.com. John, happy Monday. How are you, sir? Very good, Seth. How's it going? Good. I hope you had a nice weekend. I certainly did. You as well. Yeah, I am. I did. I um. I, I I noticed the Dow Jones went down today. The others went up. Yes. Nasdaq, Russell, and I'm just wondering if that that's an S and P. I'm I'm wondering if 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 that's an oddity or if it just has to do with like one or two companies in Dow Jones. Pretty much, it's yeah. just a sector. You know, yeah. different sectors that uh, you know have an up or down day. It's certainly nothing to be concerned about. Okay. At this point, yeah. All right. The Dow's been making all sorts of new highs over the past month or so, so taking a little bit of a breather right now. We're starting to see the other indexes also move higher. Okay, talk to me about. Um, thank you for that. Talk to me about this. Some people call it um, RMD. It's a required minimum distribution. I believe that's what it stands for, and yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken, and it has to do with um, when you can take and when you have to start taking money out of your retirement. Can you talk to us about this? Because they raised the age to 72. Some want it to go even higher. Yeah, right. So back uh, in 2020, we had a, a strong Retirement Act of 2020, which was passed, the SECURE Act. And it included um, an increase in the age, Seth, for required minimum distributions from retirement accounts. Most people uh, in a 401K or IRA or SEP IRAs, 403Bs, also, all sorts of retirement accounts put money away at a tax-deferred rate so that they don't have to pay taxes each year and they make the contributions. But IRS says at some point in time, you're going to have to pull money out of those retirement accounts. And it used to be age 70 and a half was the required minimum age. But uh, back in 2020, that was increased to age 72. So for those who did not want to touch their retirement accounts, if you were not already at the point where you were mandated to pull money out, you now could extend it to 72. And now it's Richard Neal. He's a Democrat from Massachusetts. He's uh, part of the House Ways and Means Committee. He's a chairman. He's proposing that they increase this age to 75. Mm -hmm. So there's two sides to this. Some people think that it's a waste of time to do that because most Americans are probably drawing from their retirement accounts already prior to that age because once they retire, they need to subsidize their income uh, by utilizing monies from their retirement accounts. The other thought is, is that those out there who don't need to take money from their IRAs this is just a way maybe for, you know, some people are saying for the wealthy to take advantage of the system again. But, again, I think there's a, a little bit of both in there, Seth. Uh, many people have the opportunity to just allow that money to continue to grow tax-deferred, and I think that's a benefit for everyone with the flexibility of still being able to withdraw it if they need it. Nice. Okay, good. Thank you for that, John. Um, what else is interesting to me uh, this week? What uh, What are we looking for at the uh, the week ahead here in the economy? Uh, tomorrow, uh, we'll learn a little bit about Japan. I believe the Bank of Japan is going to put out some information. And then Wednesday, the Fed here is looking to make another decision on interest rates and bond purchases, I believe. 
Correct. And we also, it's a big week for Wall Street and corporate earnings. And we did see Tesla today come out with their earnings, Huge. which they blew, blew yeah. away the uh, estimates. Yeah. We've got uh, other big tech companies, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple reporting this week as well. So all eyes are on this to see actually if uh, the stock prices warrant, um, you know, their, their, their P.E. ratios. We're going to see what their earnings are this week and if uh, tech companies are going to continue to rise or if we're going to see a little pullback. So I'm interested to see what happens, but the start of it has looked pretty good with Tesla uh, reporting very well today. Good. Thank you for that, John. I appreciate it. Uh, go ahead, sir, with your uh, usual Al McCoy <laughs> monologue. <laughs> the Securities and Advisory Services are with the Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check out our website, Grand Canyon Planning.com. Request an appointment right there. Three Thanks. points, sweet D. Yes. What a burger, what a shot. <laughs> John Dombrowski, God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Seth. All Bye. right, we'll talk more tomorrow. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Can one say that California Governor Gavin Newsom has been recalled? Well, we can say that the signature collection for a recall election has surpassed its minimum threshold requirement of 1.4 million signatures they got 1.6 million verified signatures, 2 million more than, excuse me, 200,000 more than necessary. They, um, they've got some problems in California. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Something that's been confusing me, and thus I assume you, for many, many years, I had to get to the bottom of it. And finally, today was the day. Today was the day. So don't say I've never helped you. But do you ever listen to Dennis Prager's Male Female Hour? And he starts it off with a, with a, with a series of lines from famous male-female romantic comedy movies. Well, there's one in there I've never been able to place. And it's where the gentleman says, and maybe you can get this, Bill, I don't know. The gentleman says, competitor, competitor, want a wife, not a, not a competitor, competitor, competitor. And you wonder why he's doing that. I thought for years it was W.C. Fields. It's not. It's um, Spencer Tracy from a movie called Adam's Rib with Catherine Hepburn. And uh, anyway, I thought that was helpful, or at least it was helpful to me. I couldn't go on. Uh, I couldn't go on not knowing what that was any longer the rest of the line is i want a wife not a competitor 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 if you want to be a big he woman go ahead and be it but not with me married couple that i think is lawyer spencer tracy Catherine hepburn we'll get back to that later if we need to i don't think we need to spend much more time on it but this 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 is a cultural war that's going on here as ariel davidson wrote the culture lines have been drawn Yes, they have. Epicurious. Do you know that company? They put out a magazine for gourmets and cooks and people interested in food. They put out a magazine. It's owned by Condé Nast, and they put out a magazine called Bon Appetit. Maybe you've seen that magazine. It's not, it's not a small magazine as these things go. It's got a million and a half subscribers, which is, I think, 10, 10 times what National Review ever had, I think. Anyway, um, 
This is this is lovely. You know, the world we've often said do you ever wake up in the morning, open the paper and wonder or open your computer and wonder internet press and open, and wonder what kind of country you what, what what country you're living in anymore? It's happening very fast. It's almost happening so fast that like a year from now you'll think this is New Caledonia or or something. Epicurious Food magazine. Who thought it could get more woke? But it did. Today we announce, I'm quoting directly, today we announce that Epicurious is cutting out beef. It won't appear in any recipes, articles, newsletters, or on social. This isn't a vendetta against cows or people who eat them. Ha ha ha. It's a shift about sustainability. It's not anti-beef, it's pro-planet. Well, I told you last week that Joe Biden's new environmental deal is going to have a significant impact on beef, reducing American beef intake by something like 90%. Um, Do you realize, wow, how many recipes involve beef, how much Americans like beef. I I just can't even begin to think about this in a a way that, that makes me think this magazine will sustain itself. Are they serious about beef? Are they really going to get rid of beef or reduce our consumption of it 90%? Are they really going to do that in the name of the environment? Will there be beef shortages? Will this be like World War II? Will you have to put your name on a list with the local supermarket to get hamburger? Will we be looking at beef and beef recipes and dishes and products? Forget recipes. Will we look at beef and beef products and beef menu items the way we looked at toilet paper a year ago? Are people going to hoard it? Will it be impossible to get? Will we start hearing a series of advertisements from new industries about fake beef or powdered beef or some other kind of impossible burger that's beaten the last impossible burger for its taste like beef? I, the good old hamburger, man. Cars, beef, cars, burgers, drive throughs I mean, what's the third, what's the next thing they're going to take? Americans like their culture. They like their cars. They like their food. Should we all be a little healthier? That's a different question. This isn't about obesity. 500,000 lives a year. This isn't about obesity, CDC says nothing. This isn't about obesity. Too much food consumption can cause it, including beef. The CDC says it has nothing to do with human health. This has to do with the environment, saving the planet, saving the world. You know, we used to think that the people from PETA were lunatics. You know, this is the group that would stage marches in the nude and or just wearing raw meat or throwing blood on people who, you know, wore animal products like leather and fur. 
we used to think they were the extremists. We used to think they were the anarchists. We used to think they were maybe one click, but maybe, maybe one click better than the Unabomber. Maybe. They're now running the government and your food magazines. They're run, running the government and food magazines. I, I understand that Chuck Schumer tweeted out that he was enjoying watching sports this weekend by drinking some kind of grass beer. Great. Is grass beer better than wheat beer? I don't know. Is it better for the environment because wheat-based beer is good or barley-based beer is good? Probably. Probably it's bad for the environment, and that's why Chuck Schumer's talking about it. But does he know how lame he looks talking about it? sitting on a chair drinking a bottle of grass-based beer, eco-friendly beer. Okay, cars, burgers, and beer were taking from Americans, I suppose. What next? I mean, at, at a certain point, it's not not recognizing your country's cultural symbols. It's not recognizing the country. Let's go get a burger. Who can say – who will be able to say that? I – Am I making too much of this? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll tell you what. In two years, when you're calling your butcher or your supermarket asking to be put on a line to get some grade A beef or some premium grade steaks, you can then look back and think, oh, yeah, Seth talked about something like this a while ago. I didn't take it seriously. Just like Seth talked about socialism. A while ago, and you didn't take it seriously. Take it seriously. He lives in North Hollywood on Radford near the In-N-Out Burger. Oh, the In-N-Out Burger's on Camrose. Near the In-N-Out Burger. Those are good burgers, Walter. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Is there only one state the media cares about anymore? If there were that state, Bill, what state would it be? Oh, okay, Georgia is what we were looking for, but that's okay. Uh, uh, California for the leftism, Georgia for the new Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's Georgia. A year ago. The governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, opened up gyms, churches, hair and nail salons, tattoo parlors, and uh, reversed the shutdown. Said that's enough. That was a year ago, April, pretty early on, as these things went, <laughs> as these things go. And the headline in the Atlantic magazine, because of Governor Kemp's orders, was what? It was this, Georgia's experiment in human sacrifice. The state is about to find out how many people need to lose their lives to shore up the economy. Well, okay. Less than Pennsylvania is the answer. Less than Illinois is the answer. Less than New York is the answer. Less than Texas is the answer. Less than the USA on average is the answer. Yes, than New Jersey is the answer. Less than Michigan is the answer less than Massachusetts is the answer. All those states lost more people 
per capita than Georgia did. But that was the headline a year ago, Georgia's experiment in human sacrifice. The state is about to find out how many people need to lose their lives to shore up the economy. And what we learned was a lot of people needed to lose their livelihoods in other states because they listened to this nonsense, like California, like New York, like Massachusetts, like Wisconsin, like Michigan, like Illinois, like New Jersey, like Massachusetts. A lot more people had to lose their livelihoods and lives because of fear and paranoia and not following the science than Georgia, which followed the science. Anthony Fauci yesterday says the risk of catching COVID outdoors without a mask is fairly minimal. (laughs) Did he just learn that, you think? Do you think he knew that when he said last year masks are useless? What is it Anthony Fauci knows and when did he know it? That would be a good topic for an essay. They used to say that about Nixon. What did the president know and when did he know it? Having told, or at least if not lies, more 180s, having changed his mind more times than Nixon lied, I think a good essay would be, what did Anthony Fauci know and when did he know it? Did he know masks were always a ruse? Or did he know over the last five months when he kept encouraging wearing masks outdoors that that was a ruse? In other words, is he lying yesterday or was he lying all the way up until yesterday?